Hello, and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers and readers from across the province and territory. I had the honor of doing a reading with my guest for this episode at a past event for the Real Vancouver Writer Series. But don't worry, I'm not going to get into that. Here's Cedar Bowers to introduce herself. Hi, my name is Cedar Bowers. I have the great privilege of living and working on Coast Salish territory, dividing my time between Galliano Island, where I grew up, and Victoria, where I am raising my family now. I have written some short fiction, and my debut novel, Astra, came out last year in June 2021. Cedar's book is a finalist for the 2022 Ethel Wilson Fiction Prize. In our conversation, we talked about writing about girlhood, as well as why she was interested in using the multi-character point of view to tell this story. Cedar starts our conversation with a reading from Astra. At the encampment, Clota pulls into a patch of sun-dappled shade under a silver birch, smoke wafting from the engine. She turns the van off and loosens her grip on the steering wheel as doubt wraps around her throat. Years back, there'd been much talk at Celestial of constructing a big fantastical house for the commune workers. They'd start by building a river stone oven in the heart one that they could use in the winter for central heat and all year round for bread baking. Then they'd build out in a circular pattern, room upon room, towers, nooks, dorms, bunks, all the woodwork original and intricate. In the evenings, when the workers gathered around the fire, Raymond sketched construction plans in the dirt with his boot heel while they sat wrapped, watching, listening, believing, their irises tracking his every move. Here's where the front door will stand, and there, he said, gesturing enthusiastically, that's where the pantry will be, and the music room, and the dining hall. I envision the kitchen here, looking off the cliff. You'll all be warm and sheltered. You won't have to worry about rent checks or any of all that bullshit. Your kids won't be raised by the system. This land will do that for you. Here, here, the workers cried in unison. So Clota had hoped to find Celestial still thriving. Instead, the encampment hasn't changed and appears nearly abandoned. There's no fireplace, no house, no community of like-minded people waiting to welcome them. Boxes of beer bottles and whiskey jugs are stacked by the dining table, and worn tires and garbage bags are heaped everywhere. Beside the flat black school bus, Raymond's little cabin stands in the shade, bursting with painful memories. And at the edge of the forest sits the yurt that Clota and Freedom called home for two summers, although now the canvas is shredded and stained with continents of mold. Is this it, Mama? Is this our new home? Sativa asks, waking to her mother's quiet swearing. I don't know, she manages to say, trying her best to sound unfazed. Let's get out and see. Ten minutes pass before she hears someone coming up the path. Then there's the sound of Raymond whistling, crisp and clear, the same tune as always. 
Well, would you look at that, he says, voice booming, once he breaks into the clearing, a young woman half hiding behind him. Raymond is still bearded and very skinny, loose linen pants tied around his hips, plaid shirt left unbuttoned, his torso bare. He pulls the girl into view and puts his hands on her shoulders. Do you see what I see, he asks, giving her a little shake. Is there a woman standing there? Or is that my imagination? No, she's real, says the girl, who appears to be around 15. Her hair is waist-long, nearly black, and parted clean down the middle as if she'd copied the style from the back of a folk record. She's wearing a paisley skirt that Clota recognizes as one she herself used to choose from the communal closet. You're just what I needed today, just exactly what I needed. Raymond's eyes are twinkling, as intense as ever. He weaves his way through the refuse, his arms open wide. I asked for this, Clota. I swear, I woke up this morning and said, something's got to change. Something's got to give. Didn't I say that, Astra? He calls back over his shoulder. Yeah, you said that, the girl agrees, trailing after him. Clota's muscles tense. His daughter, of course, dark, tall and thin, exactly like him. No trace of her round, hazel-eyed mother in her at all. It's not that Clota had forgotten Astra. How could she? But for some reason, she'd blocked her out. Assume there was no way she'd still be living here. That at some point, some kind soul would have swooped in and taken her off Raymond's hands. Clota is unsure if she's pleased or horrified to see her again. All knees and bones and baggage. Once in reach... Raymond pulls Clota into an embrace. His stench is multi-layered and thick, wood, loam, sweat salt, and goat milk. The hairs on his chest prickle her cheek, and never a fan of man, men hugging her too long, she gently eases him off and takes a step back. Thank you. So if you could only read one book or only watch one TV show for always... Which would it be and why? I'm going to go with All of Kitteridge by Elizabeth Strout. And why that one? Um, I love how it is many different views on one woman. Um, It was one of my main inspirations probably for Astra. Uh, I like her difficulties and her struggles and her um, her views on herself as the novel goes on. I've read it many times, more times than I can count. Um, and if I had to pick a companion book, it would be probably Revolutionary Road by Richard Yates, which is another book that I've read over and over, which is the struggles between the marriage, different people viewing each other. So yeah, those would be my two picks. Do you like the movie adaptations of both of those books? Um, I don't know if I've seen the Revolutionary Road one. I think it's on my list, but I haven't watched it. Um, and I do. I mean, yes, Frances McDormand is fantastic. So loved her in all of Kittredge. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I'm delighted to uh, chat with you about Astra um, because I immediately ordered a copy after we did that event together last spring and uh, devoured it on a camping trip. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit about how this book started and 
where the idea for this woman, Astra, came from? It started with one short story. It wasn't a novel at first. It took a little bit of time for me to realize that I was writing a novel, but I wrote a story about a man named Raymond who was struggling with the idea of having a child that he didn't want when he wanted to be kind of untethered from responsibility. It wasn't a good short story. He was basically just mulling over how much he didn't want to be a dad sitting on a bridge while he was high on magic mushrooms. It was terrible. And then I wrote another short story that was about a teenage girl who was living on a commune. And at some point while writing that story, I realized that this was the daughter of that man. And I threw both of these versions away and started over um, with this idea in my head that, well, I guess I always had this thought that there could be a novel written about every single person on this planet if you found the right selection of people to tell their story. So it wouldn't necessarily be in that person's perspective, but if you found a collection of people, you could have a really interesting view on what one person meant to others. So with that paired with the idea that I wanted to see a novel explore a person who was very directionless and didn't really know what they wanted out of life or how they wanted to love or how they wanted to live and kind of their stumbling nature as they went forward. And then because I grew up in sort of some slightly alternative uh, culture myself and at a certain time um, with a lot of I don't know back to the landers and hippies around me I also like the idea of watching a person have to kind of become an adult and grow after a pretty directionless and um, unsupervised childhood so those things came together and then I came up with the concept of writing almost like in short stories or separate chapters where we see this person through different people's view. So that's how it came together. I actually wanted to ask you about um, the commune as a setting, because it's interesting because it appears in a lot of books, like it appeared in um, Zoe Whittle's latest novel as well. There was kind of this commune or alternative community. And I wondered what you think it is that interests us so much about that, and maybe because of your own experience with this, it, it was something you connected with in particular, but it seems like we're drawn to the commune as setting for some reason. Well, I think that people are drawn to communes in general because who doesn't love the idea of throwing away all the difficulty and the grind of ordinary consumerist life and monogamy and having to live in a certain way or how your parents had told you to or how society is telling you to like there's something like deeply romantic about that idea and so so many people tried and like during this movement and there's something still romantic about that but now we kind of have the after effects and we also kind of see the dark side of it so yeah, Zoe Whittle wrote about it. And then uh, Lauren Groff a long while ago with Arcadia, where it's kind of split to there on the commune and after. And I really like the idea of setting. Basically, Astra takes place on a commune called Celestial, but it's a pretty bad commune. Like it's kind of failed right from the beginning, which is, I think, how most of them started. Like a group of friends coming together being like, wait a minute, let's just 
<laughs> let's just reinvent the wheel and live together forever in harmony. And that's basically the beginning of every horror story, that idea. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's endlessly interesting, that idea of switching everything out, trying over again, all new, and then seeing what happens when you do. Yeah. I mean, and, and Celestial as the this place, like Astra would not be Astra if her life had started anywhere else. And so... I, I just find like that whole idea of the commune. I think particularly I became very interested in communes when I moved to Powell River because there were there are a lot of them or were a lot of them. They're not many anymore. Um, but the back to the landers uh, came mm -hmm. here and quite famously there was one um, Kurt Vonnegut's son Mark Vonnegut started a commune here on Powell Lake, uh, mm -hmm. which went horribly wrong. So that's what I actually thought of as I was thinking of celestial. One of the things that I was really, I really connected to in the book was writing about girlhood and womanhood, because I think this book, because you were able to bring all these characters in, we you really unpackaged like the many roles that women play in their lives and the expectations that are put on women through those roles. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it was an idea that I wanted to explore through the commune aspect where I feel like there was a lot of tension between um, men and women or the gender roles that took place at that time um, where women were carrying a lot of the emotional responsibility of spoke, needing to be freer and needing to be kind of more chill and uh, go with the flow. And then somehow by being that way, they ended up carrying a lot more weight, uh, weight of motherhood without maybe financial security or housing security. And um, the responsibilities of child rearing fell more on them or the men were free to just take off and come back. And it was everybody was supposed to just be happy with this environment. And that there was a real tension with that, that I saw a lot of buried anger. So I thought that was an interesting thing to explore a little bit. And then um, I also witnessed in my growing up, a lot of girls who were meant to kind of take care of their fathers in a strange way, if they were left with them, like feeding them and their who knows where their dads were and they were constantly keeping track of them in a way that wasn't supposed to happen. But then I think any child does want guidance from somebody, a parent or a guardian or somebody they look up to growing up. And that's something everybody really needs to help kind of thrust them forward into adulthood. And so I wanted to explore that question with Astra is what happens to somebody who never had that and where do they look for that if they're looking for it in friendships or in men and what do they do when they get told how to be and they don't like how that feels. So I just wanted to play with all those ideas at once. Uh, that's not a very cohesive answer or very clear, but yes, I agree. There's many tensions in girlhood and womenhood and roles that are put on people and what it feels like and how you need it and want to fight it off at the same time. Yeah. 
Well, and maybe we can like unpackage it a bit more and dive deeper. But one of the the relationships I was really interested in was between Laura and Astra, because I think oftentimes we don't examine or I think oftentimes women, our friendships with other women can either be like babysitters club or like more like I guess what we see with Laura and Astra and I think those intricacies of like what female friendships look like aren't often kind of poked at and I I wondered how you see female friendships and why that was something you wanted to really explore in in that chapter yeah that's a great question I loved writing the Lauren chapter because um I felt that tension really is often present where one person sees themselves as sort of the one in control or the one who knows best um, over their friendship or that they're guiding them. But usually that person also is riddled with their own insecurities and just wants approval and to kind of be able to boss somebody around. And yeah, female friendships, I mean, they're complicated. There is very as can possibly be but that was not a healthy friendship between Lauren and Astra and Lauren was very blind to her privilege and very resentful of um, Astra's um, kind of lazy fair attitude towards life and I the wealth disparity too was really important for me to draw out between the two of them and uh, I feel like Lauren was in a really tough position though because she was having to be a certain person in her home and in her work that she didn't even really like at the same time. So it was a very complicated relationship. You're right. And Astra, if you notice, I mean, we don't know all the friends she had in the book because we don't see her. There's large places of time that go by that you don't get a window onto her life, but she didn't have that many female friendships. Um, And I think that's because she mostly had only learned how to talk to men and she didn't really like that and I kind of this shouldn't be a spoiler but towards the end of the book I'm hoping that she knows how to have friendships a little bit more and she gets to rekindle a relationship with one of her childhood friends and I have hope for her that she will learn how to speak as an equal with other women and men and build friendships that are more secure as she ages just like how with me when you ask what do I think about female friendships? They're as difficult as any friendship and we can only hope to get better at it and be more opening and loving and uh, less judgmental. Yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to ask about the judgment because in, in their relationship, of course, it's not just two, like two teenage girls meeting in high school. These are women who have lives and past partners, but they're also mothers. And I'm I'm not a mother myself, but I find reading about motherhood fascinating and watching how we talk about it is interesting because, I mean, if there's anything where there's more judgment and guilt heaved on, it, it's just so fraught. And I just thought, here are these two women who have something in common, but they're not quite meeting in the middle somehow. Yes, Lauren is really feels a lot of guilt that's been placed at her and she's kind of looking for the guilt everywhere too like everything she reads and sees she takes it as a sign that people are judging her and all the 
great parenting her partner does she takes it as sort of an insult that he's better than her and that her son loves him more and it's very it's a difficult time for her and so Astra kind of makes that better and then much worse because it shines a light on what she considers her failures which I don't think are her failures it's the failure of society to blame people or to tell them they should be a certain way and nobody fits that mold. I want to talk about the men in the book, but it's mm-hmm. I I think like what made me so sad, but what also like resonated so much for me about the men in the book was like everyone had expectations of who Astra should be, but there was also this element of like so many of the men trying to save her, like that mm-hmm. that was their job to kind of swoop in and like take her but of course that wasn't without like expectation of something being given in return um Mm -hmm. so i i don't know what my question is maybe if you want to just like how how you navigated the different men in the relationship but also was it hard to for you to write about them because i mean some of these guys are just very unlikable (laughs) and it made me so sad that it was like I just wanted her to find I mean Nick was nice but again like not without like wanting something in return and wanting her to be different than who she was yeah um when I did my first like launch for Astra on Galliano uh there was uh friend of mine or a guy that I know from Galliano named Jack and he was interviewing me and he was just like oh the men in this book they is really made me rethink men and all the relationships I've been in they're all just terrible and I was like yeah but are some of the women are pretty terrible too oh, yeah. I actually think that it's <laughs> it's kind of balanced and I was really trying to make sure that it was balanced between it's not that anybody is completely a terrible person but they yeah their worst sides kind of get brought out by Astra I think you're right that this sense of control and trying to turn Astra into something that she didn't want to be but I do think that part of the blame is put on Astra as well because she's constantly making friendships and getting into relationships where she's kind of asking people what should I be like? And she does this with Lauren. She does this with Nick. I think she does this with Chris. She is on a journey and she doesn't know how to kind of become an adult herself because of this lack of guidance that she had when she was younger. And so how I imagine her is that she's sort of throwing herself at people and at life being like, tell me what to do tell me who I should be. And then they tell her and she goes, Oh, no, I hate that. I'm gonna go do something else. And it's this process of elimination of the kind of people she hangs out with the kind of people that treat her certain ways that kind of slowly move her forward and make her have to rely on herself and get those answers from herself as the book progresses. Um, Nick is a person that she marries for a short period of time. And he was like the closest. I feel like he did have some really great qualities. He did also really want to manage her emotions and um, kind of fix her. And she was resistant to that, but it was also where she was. I feel like she could have helped him change too, if they had been at different places in their life or different parts of their like evolution emotionally. Um, Yeah. 
but I didn't find it difficult to write uh, from the men's perspectives at all. Uh, I quite enjoyed it, to be honest. Was there one you enjoyed, one perspective that you enjoyed writing from more than others or or were they all fun? Some were much more difficult and I had to rewrite many, many, many times and some came quite easily. So I would say uh, Brendan was very easy to write and he is quite an unlikable person in many ways. Um, he was maybe a bit easiest to create because I had known so many people kind of like a mixture of many different people I've known. Uh, Nick, I found also easy to write. Uh, my favorite though, and probably easiest chapter or like that I could connect with the most and was most emotionally sort of satisfying was the Doris chapter, I think. Yeah. I want to ask about the epigraph because I think mm -hmm. I think you had mentioned maybe I had posted on Instagram once that I was listening to the song and I had, for some reason I I don't know that I ever read the epigraph until you said that there was it came from bloody motherfucking asshole. I don't even know if I can say that on the podcast, but I did. Um <laughs> why did you choose that as your epigraph and had you always had it in mind or did it come along later? It came along later during edits i had had something else in place the book astro used to have a different title it used to be called the decahedron which uh is there's this dice that she carries on through the book that kind of helps her make decisions and it's a decahedron a 10-sided dice um but then very wisely my agent and editor said that sounds like a very difficult, unaccessible math book. You don't want to call it that. And so we changed the uh, title. And at the same time, the epigraph that I had in before matched the title. And so then I started to rethink about something else. And that that song was just something I listened to over and over and over again while driving around, driving my kids places. They know every word. <laughs> um, they never want me to play it again because I listen to it so much. And there's just something about the rage of the song, um, certain lines that reminded me of kind of the more matriarch characters in the book of Cloda and Doris, especially, and the rage that women, I think, from that time felt of just wishing it were easier if they were a man, which is one of the lines. But I don't think it's necessarily easier to be a man, obviously, in many, many ways. But it was motivating. And I think it had a certain fire to it that I wanted to kind of start the book off with. There was something that I, I thought about a lot as I was going through the book again. And I, I was reading the the jacket, which I I never read book jackets. I just kind of buy books and dive in. Me too. Same thing. But I saw that it talked about Astra as being unpredictable. And then I thought of this idea of like wild women and how, you know, Astra was really a wild woman in her truest sense. But I wondered what you thought of, of her being wild and it felt like she was trying to be kind of bound up. Do you think she ends up like, well, who do you think Astra is after the book? Maybe that's my question. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a great question. I, I feel like I know Astra probably as well as you do, which was sort of the idea 
two of the structure and the concept of how I put the novel together is that how well can you truly know anyone or that there are so many stories about each person that highlight um, different parts of their character. Um, I was really careful that in each chapter of the book, the protagonist who is talking about Astra is both right and wrong about her at the same time. And so that the reader can, through their own experiences, draw their own conclusions. I liked to imagine that if, you know, you live in a small town, I grew up in a small town, there are many people you hear about, you hear different stories about them throughout their lives, things they did in the past, you hear about them from many different people, and maybe you've never gotten to know them well yourself, but they become a character in your head, you draw your own conclusions about if they're good, or if they are bad, or if they're somebody you should know, or somebody you should stay away from. And I wanted everybody to do that with Astra. And I have talked, had the privilege of talking to many book clubs since writing Astra and I love it whenever I hear somebody who says I just didn't like her at all (laughs) and that was something I wanted people to be free to feel to not like her to think she makes really bad decisions um, and to maybe prefer or maybe agree with certain characters in the book that I don't necessarily agree with that we're all can bring our own experiences to it so By the end, my only hope for Astra, because she's about, I picture 66-ish when the book ends, is that she has a little bit better understanding that she can guide herself going forward, that she can make her own choices, that she's not responsible for people, um, and that she is kind of finally free. That was Cedar Bowers author of Astra. Astra is a finalist for the 2022 Ethel Wilson Fiction Prize. If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We have a bunch of great in-person events coming up in communities such as Smithers and Nelson. And we also, of course, have our ongoing virtual event series, Storied. And you can find out all the details about that on our social media and website. Next time on Writing the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Don Posnikoff and Joanne Sasfari. Their book, Island Eats, Signature Chef's Recipes from Vancouver Island and the Salish Sea is a finalist for the 2022 Bill Duthie Booksellers Choice Award. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.